It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. It's time for episode 244 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. This week is the return of Brett Urin, creator of the Torso Bear series of books. And he's got a third volume in the works and a Kickstarter happening this week that you can help support. We talk about how all the different volumes came to be and how you can access them as well. Because I really love the audio section he did for his second volume on Kickstarter, I'm starting off the music with that, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. It is nighttime in Toy World, and all is quiet. One little bear is still awake and so nervous that his stuffing is in knots. He notices you and leaps back in surprise. He says, Oh, thank you, Perdo. I'm Detective Ruxby Bear of Toyburg PD. I don't know how you got in here, but you have to help me. The scared toy beckons you closer. I was working on a case in Toyburg City that got me too close to the mayor, so I've been framed and put here. Ruxby jumps back a little. You don't know where this is? Our fuzzy friend laughs nervously. <laughs> uh, this is the corner. Toy World's most scariest prison, filled with killers, fanatics, and old villains of the Saturday morning wars. Realising that he doesn't have long here before the guards find him, Ruxby tells you. There's a group of investigators back in Toyburg who are collecting stories to expose the corrupt Celebrate the righteous and get me out of here. Tales of the falsely accused and executed. Tales of old villains being used by cops to do their dirty work. And I'm sure that the last bad toy I caught, the switcher, will lead me to the copycat that has been working in secret for months. I can't do anything from in here, but you can. Our tiny furry friend takes out a notebook and bright button and pleads with you. Please, get my notes to the outside and to my friends. Help them raise the buttons to get the truth out in Toy World and that sick plaything behind bars. My friends have even promised to strike a deal with whoever wants to sell our yarns in their stores. For your buttons, my friends will send books, posters, shirts, and other works from their collections to help bring the real Toy Book out into the rays of Mr. Sun. As he slips off to find his cell again, Ruxby says with a shake in his voice, it, it, Last year might have put steel in my stuffing, but please hurry and help prove my innocence before I get put on the step. I've heard it changes a toy. Forever. It's great to welcome back to the podcast, Brett Urin, the Hi. 
Uh, how, how you doing, Brad? Yeah, you, of course, you're the creator <laughs> of Torso Bear, among other things. And we've talked twice before about this in, a wonderful comic. Why don't you, since we're starting out, and it's been a little while since you've been on the podcast, give a description of what Torso Bear is about. Okay. Well, um, Torso Bear, uh, the name is a little on the nose because um, it, it was originally a story, a short eight-pager in a Norwegian digital anthology called Otra, basically about young detective Ruxby Bear in an imaginary city called Toyberg. His first case, he finds a dismembered um, teddy bear body. Um, no gore, naturally, it's just fluff in um, a lemonade rain soaked alleyway. And from there on in, it span off into um, an anthology book. Various people's stories all centered around Ruxby and the city of Toyberg um, based around that case, which is sort of the closest thing we could do um, with a Dahlia. Uh, Black Dahlia style murder in um, an environment where it was as close to a children's book as we could manage or a, a kid's comic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Completely clean, no uh, gore, sex, uh, proper violence, anything mm-hmm. like that. And, um, you know, quite a lot of the writers and artists seem to like that challenge. Mm. So, okay, first volume, when did that come out? Uh, that would have been um, late summer into early autumn 2014. Okay. Yeah. And then the second volume, when did that hit the stands? Well, that was uh, October, November uh, last year, 2015, yeah. So pretty good. So yeah, you're doing things on a regular basis. So obviously you've got a fan base going on by here because the reason we're talking tonight is because you want to talk about an upcoming Kickstarter program uh, project for this. Do you want to talk about what the response has been to Torso Bear and why you're getting ready to do a third one? Yeah, I mean, totally. Um, since uh, those two Kickstarters, we've um, found our way into Orbital Comics in London, the UK, and uh, Coy's Comics in Michigan in the United States, and various places, uh, including Comixology. And I think overall, um, we've sold what, way above um, 550 copies mm. in various formats of the books combined. Uh, I've had messages, one of who, which was from uh, an ex-police officer. Mm-hmm. who um, emailed me out of the blue to say after reading um, number one that he was, he was glad coming out of the service and back into civilian life that someone out there um, understood that it was a difficult job, that it kind of it does things to you emotionally that are always difficult to pass, you know. Um, uh, and he was just glad to know that he wasn't on his own understanding that conflict, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's it's been a really kind of a popular response from uh, readers and um, creators as well. Um, some of whom in this third uh, volume have been with us the entire series. Great. Great. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. How were you aware of that? Was that something you were aware of when you were writing it, that this kind of thing happens to folks going down this path? Uh, did you know somebody that had done that? No, no. Um, I had, um, I, I'd come across um, people who uh, used to be in the armed forces or were in the army. Uh, I had an ex-girlfriend whose uh, brother and father as well uh, were in the Royal Air Force, one of whom was retired from the force and one of whom was still active. So I kind of got a sense that, um, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to um, deal with emotionally sometimes, that kind of service, but nothing direct with the police force. So maybe that's where it came from. Cool. I hadn't thought about it until you just mentioned it. Oh, wow. Because it's 
a lot of people don't understand that thing happens to to folks in those circumstances. So no, and it's fairly well documented now, um, you know, in social media and some uh, areas of the news as well. Um, but it's it's been kind of uncommon knowledge for many years, you know. So whether that trope is something that I unconsciously picked up when writing it, um, you know, there are a lot of people wanted to talk talk about that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but it wasn't necessarily part of the the mainstream um comics um sphere mm-hmm. you know it wasn't actively discussed perhaps very good now these are tend to be trades rather than individual comics but although you do have lots of individual stories within it has you found that to be a, a success as far as doing that kind of thing you you get to put the book out as a more complete volume than a, uh, individual stories is that been something that did you want to do that at the beginning did you kind of fall into that for you know financial reasons how did you get to do that um it was kind of out of necessity really i've been um i mean before that i i made an entire 200 page graphic novel it was sci-fi African um, mythology um, called Kazimu and it had taken up the best part of six years of my life and uh, on the side or in between that and Torso Bear I've been making a a more British focused set of mini comics um, Mm -hmm. just because I'd entered the the workforce and I was uh, in design agencies Mm -hmm. so um, you don't always get the opportunity to spend a lot of spare time doing that sort of thing um, just about the time of Otra and doing the original Torso Bear story, we actually had our first daughter. Mm-hmm. So doing that, um, having a job as well and that, that kind of responsibility, it sort of necessitated wanting to do a book, having the necessary sort of content and ideas, but not actually being able to execute it all myself because mm-hmm. obviously there were constraints on my time. Mm-hmm. So it was um, they, actually there's a panel in the first Torso Bear story of the uh, Ruxby's kid, little Wellington Bear, mm-hmm. laid back in bed. And I was actually inking that panel whilst my um, newborn girl was in the bassinet, sat on the, <laughs> oh, wow. sat on the sofa next to me. So, you know, it's uh, life and comics and everything yeah. else is sort of intermingling at that point. How about that? No, yeah. You can write what you know at that point. That's a good uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is a good thing. Now, now, volume one was just the volume one, right? The, the, volume two was called All Stitched Up, mm, if I yeah. remember correctly. Now, and of course, we haven't talked to any about the the uh, characters in there. You've got the, you mentioned uh, Ruxby, Detective Ruxby Bear, and it all takes place in Toyburg, which is the city, and all kinds of interesting little characters come in and out. Uh, of people who are uh, interacting with these things. And, you know, I always like to think that you're following in the Toy Story tradition, although you're going a little darker in the sense that these characters are more adult, shall we say, than Toy Story was, in the sense that they do some uh, darker things or come across darker circumstances than you'd ever see in Toy Story. Um, yeah, yeah, they do. Um, that was uh, part of the challenge um, in that. There are an awful lot, and I was I was talking at a convention um, with uh, a couple of customers, one of whom was uh, a parent bringing their kids around who'd never been to um, a convention before, because there are a lot of small shows uh, springing up across the UK mm-hmm. in um, you know places you'd never heard of, really, like Melksham and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were saying that they went into a comic shop, wanted a kid to get into it, and um, it couldn't really give them a mainstream batman comic series i mean especially during scott snyder's run 
mm-hmm. with the Joker with his uh, face skinned and mm-hmm. reattached kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. So how do you get kids into that? Mm-hmm. And, and primarily, you know, a lot of creators are used to creating that dark material, but not necessarily in all ages stuff. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of worked that it was an appropriate challenge for creators to do dark stories, but not with a traditional set of tools almost. It was almost like a creative exercise for them. Those limits produce something quite unusual, like Ed Norton's story about uh, executing uh, a convict teddy bear by using a hoover to suck his fluff out. Mm. It's not technically anything that you could say is inappropriate for kids, although perhaps it is. <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, I think when you're doing a series and after the first one's success, we decided we did want to do more of it. Um, you've got to raise the stakes. I mean, that happens in quite a lot of serials. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you continue them too long, like soap operas, the thing becomes ridiculous. But mm-hmm. um, the the Star Wars trilogy definitely set along that path. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many classic franchises that have done that, um, started out or rather ended in a darker place than um, where they initially sat out from. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you did the first one that was fresh and new. Second one, of course, you know it probably wasn't quite as fresh and new, but you were you had still had stories to tell. So now you've got a third volume in the works. What was it? How how did the circumstances come that you wanted to do volume three? Was it because the volume two was so well received? Of course, you had one and two basically going over real big. Did you, you know, were these stories that you kind of kept in reserve? Are these new stories, new creators? What? How was volume three coming together? Um, volume three is uh, yeah, all the scripts and um, basic layouts of the stories are there. If anything, um, some of them were in development as the um, the second volume was winding up, mm. uh, if anything. Um, it seems from the creator's perspective, there's a great, um, as much as there are, you know, um, readers who really do enjoy it, I think the creative team, more than anything else, have been driving this forward. And not that it's out of my hands, but um, someone will message me you know, um, just as I'm sending out uh, pledge packages or something to that effect with a new idea. And it's something completely genius um, that deserves to be read. Mm -hmm. So I've almost got to play catch up with them and come up with a story. I never went into uh, volume one thinking there was going to be a two or three, but um, things keep presenting themselves. Mm -hmm. There um, there's a team or people that have worked on volume one and two who actually wanted to pitch in to do a, a miniseries or maybe a one-shot after this third volume is wrapped up based all around um, uh, the exploits of a band who play um, in a bar. So uh, more of a music-themed um, character, story-based um, mm. narrative rather than anything that has a particular crime story to it. So the, the world op- has opened up to mm. people to almost tell their own stories with it. Does that surprise you? Uh, you know, you you generated toy, you know, the toy torso bear stuff, in order to make it basically like a crime drama. But now you're seeing your child grow up and and going in directions you probably never expected. What's that like for you? I, do you kind of feel like, wow, I, I you know, I never dreamed that. Is it is it exciting for you? Is it a little scary? What, how does that work? It is a little, yeah, it is a little scary. Um, hmm. Just to think that something that that I vaguely came up with in a slightly uh, drunken 
bar joke um, ended up kind of spinning out from itself. Wow. It's kind of weird how that happens. Um, I, you know, the, for the last two series I was involved with or making um, were put together on the back of a very hard fought and um, meticulously conceived idea. But this, that was just an offhand joke, seems to have kind of gotten away from itself. But maybe those loose parameters just allow people to put their own uh, stamp on it, their own fingerprint. Um, it, it's cool and scary at the same time. It's, it definitely is. But um, mm-hmm. now that um, SourcePoint, who we've been speaking to, uh, want to get involved and distribute things, mm-hmm. um, it might be nice once this third one is wrapped up to kind of see if other people want to have a crack or do something with the world. And then um, just act as editorial and distribution go between. Hmm. That'll be something. It'll be a different role for you. Your role's growing as far as the universe goes. Um, yeah, to some extent. I mean, it'd be nice to kind of take the pedal off the metal and um, do some. Let someone else, you know, prepare the work, and I'll um, go on to do a couple of other concepts that I've been toying with. Are you going to like review stories? Like, well, this probably is the case in all these three volumes. You've probably looked over the story. Have you ever said to somebody, "Ooh, I don't think we should do that"? Um, there were a couple of occasions, um, like in volume two for John Scriven's um, story, Action Gal, mm-hmm. where um, Action Man realizes he's been born uh, the wrong toy and wants to be reshaped as an Action Gal. Um, because um, trans people uh, and their situation um, not just in the United States and UK but all over the world is something uh, it's a very sensitive topic for many people for various different reasons we wanted to make sure that the way the story was resolved was as um, unlikely to give any kind of negative or any kind of connotation either way by the end of it it would be completely down to the to the reader and we must have me and glenn um must have bounced 20 30 emails back with john you know refining that thing or Mm -hmm. they're bouncing ideas across just to get that right Mm -hmm. because it had to be Mm -hmm. you know that's good because you know honestly you want the message to get across. You don't want to stumble through the details and and that distract away from the story you're trying to tell. So yeah, exactly. You don't want to. Um, not only do you want to the it to be people to be distracted from the story by the the concept, but um, you also don't want to give in anybody. I mean, considering we already had contact from um, a policeman about uh, how much he identified with somebody. Mm-hmm didn't want to do wrong by anybody in the situation that Action Gal was in to some extent and uh, misrepresent it in any way, I think, is when we, we came to it. So issue or volume three is coming out here very shortly as far as Kickstarter goes. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk about how do you get volumes one and two these days? Do they contact you? Is there a, a website they can go through? Is it like drive through? How's this going to work? Is it out in Comixology? How do these things happen? How can people get one and two? Um, at the moment, it's still up on our Comixy store, both in you know, a digital and physical format. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can you can go to torsobear.com mm-hmm. and the links to you know, buy them physically and digitally are right at the top of the page. Mm-hmm. That will be changing in the next couple of months mm-hmm. uh, because um, uh, Travis and the rest of the team at SourcePoint Press in the States – 
have agreed to um, pick up all the books, including three, once it's completed, and uh, distribute them through their network to physical stores and also you know, ship some uh, copies to me for distribution in the UK as well. Cool. And they'll be taking over the digital rights for that. Cool. So it will all be switching over, but that'll be, you know, if there's a change, we'll be posting that on the website. Well, of course, you can always link to wherever you need to go. As far Absolutely. As and just uh, pop the links on there at the top of the page. Yeah, so, yeah. so volume three, do you have a title for volume three? Yeah, it's called Back on the Blocks. <laughs> uh, which is a reference to Ruxby getting himself out of uh, prison and uh, you know back on the police force and back on the streets of Toyberg. Um, I, it, there is more to it than that, and there's definitely going to be a, a big shift in midway towards the end of the volume, which some people who've read more closely into volume two might be able to see a little coming, but we think it's going to be a, a huge change up. Otherwise, we wouldn't be making the book. But um it, back on the blocks is as about as paper thin reference to the story as possible. And okay. um, there's a famous story that um, J.R. Uh, Tolkien um, hated the name of the uh, third book his publisher chose, Return of the King, because it spoils the story. Basically, mm -hmm. it gives away the ending. Mm -hmm. um, so we didn't want to do. We didn't want to do anything vaguely like that. Okay, well, that makes sense. So, uh, which creators that have been in the previous two volumes are going to be in volume three are going to, are going to return? All right. So we're talking um, Sidethan, mm -hmm. uh, Nick Wilkinson. They've mm -hmm. um, come back for this one. Mm -hmm. I think they more than anything else, they just enjoy doing stories um, to do with Snaplock, yeah. their character, mm -hmm. which is you know completely understandable. Um, the guy is really cool mm -hmm. um, to look at and to to read. He's uh, He's uh, really pulled something out of the hat for this one, I think, as well. Oh. Uh, we were trying to go tighter for the third volume just to resolve as many storylines as we can and fit it all into a kind of more direct narrative between everybody. And mm -hmm. he's uh, hit that nail on the head. Cool. We've got Frank Martin, whose uh, other book, Modern Testament, is doing the uh, rounds in the indie sphere at the moment. He's mm -hmm. come back to um, write another one. Uh, Glenn, our co-editor, um, in between uh, getting his uh, crime one-shot, The Glory, out there, and uh, more issues of Ultra, has uh, managed to put together his final um, Stretcho Savage <laughs> story. Um, he's very married to that character and to resolving things for him. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a few new faces as well, okay. uh, mainly artists. So most of the returning staff are um, writers. Um, Saoirse Towler, who did the beautiful watercolour work on Janus Hunkinen's um, Volume 1 story, is returning for this volume. Uh, but we have um, new people like uh, Yen Quach. She's been working with Al Davidson on some Vertigo books um, as a colour assistant, among many things. But she's got a, a very painterly style, mm -hmm. um, something that's uh, more akin to you know um, a watercolour work herself. Mm -hmm. uh, as for uh, other new artists, um, uh, I think uh, Kieran Squires has hired a new colourist called Guseppe. Mm -hmm. And... Who else made it in? I'm just trying to get a look at the list. Mm -hmm. It's never helpful <laughs> when Word doesn't want to open on you. No. Uh, uh, Charlie Hogg, who did some of um, Kieran's colouring last um, issue, is actually uh, doing some full art this mm. time mm -hmm. 
for more of a prose story from Ed Norton, where it's told in almost a uh, police report style manner, as if you're leafing through the folder. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what he's done is because it's toy based, everything's written and drawn, uh, including mug shots and kind of evidence photos in crayon. So it's it's coming together really nicely. Very good. Now, of course, as we mentioned earlier, this is going to be a Kickstarter coming up soon. Do you know when the Kickstarter is going to start? Yeah, it's going to be from the 1st of September. So um, for time of recording now, next Thursday. Okay, very good. And that'll be going. And how long is it going to last a month? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's going to be the standard for the month, and it allows us to do some fun things, uh, like we're going to have a month-long uh, vote as to what happens in one of Kieran Squire's stories in <laughs> Points of Resolution. Mm-hmm. So um, it's all going to be almost uh, choose-your-own story oh, wow. uh, for backers. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do our usual sketch and art rewards and prizes and things like that, and um, you know, um, doing those things doesn't lend itself to a short run of a week or 13 days or Mm-hmm. Very true, because you know the the thirty day program seems to be the best way to do it. Oh yeah, days. everyone's just kind of nicely slipped into that kind of whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now you and I were talking a little bit before we started record about the whole notion of diamond versus Kickstarter and stuff like that. And I had mentioned I know people who have been refused by Diamond because of they're making superhero books, which. Diamond has said they basically only want to do things uh, from the big five or whatever they are now, uh, and they want to, they want to reject everybody else's superhero books. And we were talking about how insane that is. That you know, comics are largely known for superhero things right now, and to sit there and just basically you know offhandedly just reject because it's a superhero book, it, I don't quite get that. And you were kind of baffled by that as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I cannot help but agree. It's in a very strange practice. For, um, you know, an industry where there's rumbles about um, or worries about um, decelerating sales in some quarters, although, of course, the big two have have shown uh, their market share go up over the last couple of years. But I think that may be to do with an increased portion of uh, kind of closed net as it were, you know, a bigger slice of the pie that remains kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Was it, you know, uh, back in the 90s, uh, something to do with, you know, obviously, the the holograms and collectors, you know, covers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But comics used to sell in the millions mm-hmm. per issue. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing reports of, you know, Harley Quinn but, uh, off of the back of the Suicide Squad movie selling in the 300,000s, and that's a... A, a large amount mm-hmm. um, is obviously a, a fraction of what it was. Right. So I'm not entirely sure if the monopoly of Diamond hasn't, by you know, t- more tightly controlling how things are sold, where they're sold, and in what more manner and format. I mean, you don't see regular series on stands anymore. It's independent stores or um, chains. Uh, one of which closed recently, didn't it? Yes. Is it oh. Hastings? Yes, they closed recently. The whole thing yeah, just shut down, yeah. and they were they were the biggest customer for Diamond Day for yeah. uh, because they took in all these books and shipped them all over the country. So you know you don't hear much about that the impact of that, but I've, you've got to figure it's had some kind of impact because oh all yeah, definitely, books. definitely, and maybe that has something to do with that that restrictive kind mm-hmm. of um, myopic viewers and a lot to do with why customers and creators are kind of well if I'm not going to have my you know book picked up by these big guys, I better make my own inroads. Or, you know, if I'm going to buy something that's 
knew I've been reading about these characters that have been around for 60 years. I mean, they're cool characters, but right. you know, I love comics and I want to read something else. Where do I go? Mm-hmm. And so Kickstarter, maybe in other places like it have become like an informal independent pre-order system. Well, there are some people I know who don't go to stores anymore. They just go through Kickstarter and buy their comics that way because they say it's mostly very creative as, as opposed to you know, the, the ongoing uh, trumble, trumble from month to month where Batman's always got to get back to where he was before so that he can continue on should some other creative team have to come in and deal with him. So, but she, your book is an, an example of something different. You know, you don't have to, you know, you're talking about endings, you're talking about you know more than just middles and stuff like that, which is where a lot of comics go. You're talking about some characters are going to actually come to a conclusion of their storyline, which I'm not used to, to be honest. And I think that's going to help your series get the word out a lot about the fact that not everything's going to fall that way. Not everything's going to wrap up in volume three, sounds like. And yet you're going to have some stuff go to a real interesting conclusion. So, you know, to me, that, that's what's exciting. I love reading stories that are very different. I just don't know where you're going to go with it. So, you know, Torso Bear is one of those great series. I think that it's going to be wonderful to read and to not have any idea what's going to happen next. Well, thank you. I mean, that, that's kind of what we aim for. And talking to a lot of people who are um, doing Kickstarters this month as well in the UK, UK scene, that's exactly why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Because you know, doing an ending or doing something creative that hasn't been done before in quite that way has, it has more stakes. There's more excitement as a reader. I'm more excited to read the books that my fellows are putting out than things that are necessarily um, seen as rote on the stands. Mm-hmm. I mean, I take my kids to the store to get like being puppy cat or my little pony books, but mm-hmm. you know, that's written for her and you expect that to be an ongoing serial. But I mean, just think of any other um, forms of art mm-hmm. um, like breaking bad on television mm-hmm. had such a massive response and there's a limited amount of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not going to get to that point where say you're into six seasons of the walking dead and people are starting to drift off because mm-hmm. it just continues with the, uh, it just continues mm-hmm. you know it doesn't the stakes peter out the longer you know that somebody is going to remain safe and mm-hmm. that's the same way with uh, something like game of thrones where you, mm-hmm. you don't know if someone's going to make it through to another episode or quite how it's going to resolve itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is great I, I mean you know i've read comics for a long, long time and for me it's it's a challenge to tell stories that we haven't read before and so for me, you know, like your book and your series is, is just a great thing for me because I, I, it, it's something I haven't read before. You know, even the Toy Story comparison sort of pales because you're doing other things. You know, there, there's other, you know, and I do have a question. I may as well get it out right now because I've been thinking okay. about it the whole time. Okay, you're doing a, a series of stories on toys. Has anybody approached you about the possibility of putting these out as actual toys? That would be a massive irony, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, to do a satire on the nature of playtime and toys and someone <laughs> approaching you to do merchandising. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I've already done some kind of merchandising and the Kickstarter rewards for the per- the past couple of campaigns have included a toy of Ruxby. <laughs> it hasn't escaped me kind of how <laughs> silly and kind of in a small way hypocritical that kind of is. Um, you know, needs must. The, the the art is one thing, and the actual making enough money to make the art is a uh, quite another. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
nobody has quite approached for merchandising on a large scale yet. Um, but part of the agreement with um, uh, SourcePoint is that um, they're going to be able to market this thing for you know, movies, video games, or whatever, whoever parties might be interested. So uh, actually, the, the question um, you and me are both going to have to find out yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the following years what exactly happens with it, if anything does. Because it's interesting to me because, you know, animation, they just announced recently that uh, Mouse Guard's being turned into an animated project. And I don't exactly if that's a movie or I kind of forget right now. But the thing that interests me is that cartoons are kind of swinging back towards younger kids. And yet there are some that are way on the other side. You know, they're kind of – you should never let your kids look at. And, I, you know, your book is kind of in the middle of there. Some of them are probably better for some younger kids than the others. But you could always do a series and you could always put a little – you know, the little warnings that they do over here in the States and put on and say, you know, this child – this program is not for a child under the age of 10 or something like that. You could always – Yeah. I mean we are talking about that because, as you say, some are fine. Some fall in the middle. Whether you, um, you know, our new publisher goes for a, a teen or kind of like you know slightly older children rating or something, is it? Mm-hmm. It has been in discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, for younger kids, um, definitely, there's a lack of um, stuff out, or there seemed to have been a lack of stuff out there. But um, there's a show that I've been particularly enjoying with um, our little one at the moment, um, Steven Universe, which I kind mm. of like avoided for a little while. <laughs> but I'm quite surprised in how they managed to keep it in uh, a younger person's uh, kind of psychological, emotional environment, but managed to bring in questions about um, relationships and mm-hmm. uh, even some vague hints towards um, gender standings mm-hmm. and fluidity, but n- not compromising in the, the children's show format at all, which is an incredibly difficult balance to, you know, mm-hmm. to hit. Yeah. I, hear, I hear more and more people talking about Steven Universe and about how much they like it, and, and they're always telling me get to watch that I, because there's been so much going on, I just haven't had a chance to watch as many of the animated things as I would like. So I might have to check that out based on, on what you're saying because I think that's a, there's a lot of good things going on that we can deal with. In, and, of course, animation and comics were always places where people could deal with this situation. Well, absolutely. You can make something incre- incredibly intricate and new without having to spend up any more money than you would doing something regular with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you try translating that into something like video games or movies, the, the costs kind of go up exponentially. So mm-hmm. I think that's why, for the most part, cart- cartoons or comics are just going to go uh, keep carrying on. Mm-hmm. Very good. Because that's an important thing, I think, is, is for the industry moving on, you know, because as you were talking, the sales aren't what they used to be. And yet the industry continues to go. And I'm, I'm hoping because it does the kinds of things you're talking about and the kind of things you do. That that'll keep the industry, you know, live and moving forward as as, as time happens. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like the music industry. It's like physical album um, sales and iTunes sales versus what people pick up on streaming or through Bandcamp, and those things aren't necessarily or haven't till recently been included. I'd be really interested to see if someone did a survey of how many comics have sold through independent means. Mm-hmm. or through Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and how much that adds to the diamonds totals. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and whether there has been a shrinkage or maybe there isn't, hasn't been as much of a shrinkage in sales, but it's just people have shifted. Mm -hmm. I read an article where somebody was talking about that very thing, and they said that after Marvel, the number two publisher of comics was Kickstarter. Incredible. And that, that, that's to me, as you know, of course, there's, there's debate about whether that's accurate or not. But, you know, the fact that we're even having this discussion tells you that this Kickstarter stuff is really an important part of the industry right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I was puzzled when someone said, don't you think Kickstarter is rather done the other day? And I was like, <laughs> well, no. Look, I mean, look at my my Facebook notifications feed. Um, it's full of people who are starting Kickstarters, who are backing them. You know, it's weird that. You don't get to see what goes on at a store. You know, you assume that people are going and buying things. But I can literally see through my social media and emails people buying things. You know, and it's every day the same person backing several projects as well, like they're going shopping. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just amazing stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I always say this, and one of these days I'll stop saying it, but I regret that Kickstarter hasn't been a long, or, uh, longer than it has been because how many stories did we miss out? before Kickstarter came around. You know, you had to go to DC, you had to go to Marvel, you had to go to these places, and you had to get them, them buying your concept. Where now, you don't have to. You can do these things on your own, just like you're doing. And great stuff's happening. And I, I just, it makes me grieve when I think about how much great stuff we've missed as a result of not having Kickstarter sooner. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you could really give yourself the, <laughs> the night sweats thinking about that kind of stuff. But um, I mean, that kind of attrition, uh, you know, happens to all art as well. How many artists have been before it's been recently democratized to some extent? How many people have missed out? Mm -hmm. um, but but that is balanced up by how many great things we're getting to have now that wouldn't have had the, the slightest bit of a chance. I mean, Torta Bear was summarily rejected by um, Diamond mm. on the basis that it was an unpopular format. The anthology format was unpopular. Mm. But then we've seen Broken Frontier and mm -hmm. Once Upon a Time Machine, that one, you know, a couple of friends of mine were involved with, that was picked up by Dark Horse, you know, after the Kickstarter. So, um, and now I'm getting picked up by Source, Print, uh, mm -hmm. Source Point. So it's, it's, um, it's a, just a different avenue mm -hmm. to getting going. Thank, thank goodness. Glad it's yeah, there. I'm yeah. glad, glad you're getting to do that too. Now, once again, September 1 is when Torso Bear Volume 3 is going to the, begin as a Kickstarter project on there. Yeah. So we need to make sure to, if you go to kickstarter.com, uh, kickstarter be sure to look for Torso Bear, and you'll probably see 1 and 2 out there too when you do that. But Volume 3 will start, and it'll end on what, September 30? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the end of September is when it will finish up. Um, for anybody who's never been into the book before, you can add vo the first two volumes to your pledge for an extra $10. Digital price is six fifty. hard copy price $20. And you'll be helping out um, a bunch of creators who are trying to make it in the industry and kind of come up through the different way like uh, we've been discussing. You know, people, there are people who are more established, but there are people who really want to get a foothold and we want to help them do that. Right, exactly. Now, of course, got to ask: Should this be successful? Let's say on September 30, you've already, you know, you've gotten your money, the the money together, and all these good things are going. Do you have an estimate as to when Volume Three will be available? We're aiming for pretty much what we did last year, which was end of October, beginning of November. That might be a little tight, so we were going to say on the outside 
in in December is probably when it's going to be on the outside coming out because we've got to have copies shipped over from the US from SourcePoint. Just in time for the holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always and, a perfect uh, time. <laughs> I hope it'll be a nice presence for some people. Yeah. Um, it's been pretty much, I kind of got the demand partway through volume two mm-hmm. uh, from my wife, my other half, um, oh. to please for once have a happy ending to one of your books <laughs> and um yeah i won't say i won't say too much but um i hope um everybody and ruxby has a ho- happy holidays <laughs> very good are, are there other things you're working on brad besides torso bear does that kind of keep you busy these days it does pretty much keep me busy because the uh, project management and um, a few personal things have kind of like, you know, made sure that that's my sole project for the moment. I do have a couple more issues of the Vale, um, which is the UK kind of uh, based project uh, that I want to get out. But if only because some of the my regular readers who have read that as well have kind of been demanding it from me. Mm-hmm. But because they're only 12 pages a piece, they're sort of a mini series I can finish those two out quite nicely um i had been batting around a concept for uh, the garbage men of time uh, <laughs> called the called the no men that i want to develop um yeah and there was originally going to be uh, i think i'm going to repurpose it going to be a, a batman story that i was going to pitch uh, about what, you know, what would happen um if batman tried to take on a hacker group like anonymous because oh. you know you can't punch the internet. So right. what does Batman do in that situation? Mm. But I think what we're, what we're going to do is just so to a certain extent, like Mark Miller did where, um, you know, obviously he uh, set up his story. What if Batman was the Joker? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're going to kind of pitch it in as a, a different superhero and oh, cool. kind of do that. So cool. that needs a little more development, but you know, mm. it would be nice to play around with these things. Well, I'd like to see that. That sounds like an interesting yeah. story because it's, it's out of Batman's general, you know, range of doing things. So that sounds like great. Absolutely. I, I always said I, I, you know, I probably wouldn't do a superhero story because other people are doing them. They've done them, but then the, the concept arrived and yeah, we, we've got to try and give that a go and do something with it. Definitely. We'll have to keep in touch because I want to hear that when it comes out. We'll be able to read that story. That <laughs> oh, don't worry. Like, uh, don't worry. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let everybody know. Well, definitely. Brett, great stuff as always. And looking forward to Torso Bear Volume 3. What's the title of a three again? Back on the blocks. Back on the blocks. Okay. Yeah. So go again. Go to Kickstarter.com and look up Torso Bear and Back on the Blocks will be up there. And be sure to get in there and support because we want to see more of this good stuff. So please keep it up, Brett. And we'll talk again, I'm sure, again in the future sometime. Yeah, I'd love to. But it's always great talking to you, Wayne. It really is. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. That's a wrap for this episode. Be sure to be back next week when I'll have another interview with a great comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.